Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I am both one of the co-hosts for this weekly radio program and the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I am joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, commander of the Communications Outreach and Professional Standards Bureau. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Doing well. Good. Doing well. It's Friday. Yes. And the, Which the, it was nice walking out of the house this morning. Nice cool the, the, weather. All right. So what's going on in the news? We'll, we'll hold off on the big, the biggest item on this anniversary of the September 11th attacks. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. Um, before we got on the air, Lieutenant I was saying, you know, checking the news cycle this morning. These these wildfires on the West Coast in California and Oregon. It, it's just devastating. I mean, they're I, yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. Right. The, the news cycle this morning described it as a war zone. I was telling you, I was watching some of the video of the California National Guard doing evacuations. Uh, it looks like something, you know, it looks like the fall of a nation state and they're in there getting the last evacuees out. It's it's insane. Um, and then what, you know, keeping an eye on it, just half an eye, because, you know, wildfires of this size at some point, there's a good chance some of our Massachusetts firefighters are going to deploy as part of a task force to go out there and, um, you know, it's. I was on social media last night, and it hadn't occurred to me. I have a friend, a good friend uh, from college, that last year relocated from the Virginia area to Oregon, and she's in she's in forestry. That's her her profession and her trade. And she was posting something about how she spent her entire career, so you know, close to thirty years now, um, tracking this stuff, but it never impacted her personally. And now she was posting air quality stuff from Oregon and. No, it's 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 bad. So let's keep our fingers crossed and our prayers for uh, the residents of those western states and uh, also for all the firefighters, woodland firefighters and smoke jumpers who are out there on the front line. Yeah, it's a crazy job. Do you ever think about being a smoke jumper? No, I read a book about it once. It was actually it was a fiction, um, but it you know, got into some pretty, uh, you know, painted a very good picture. It's fascinating. Of how they get into it and and everything that's involved and it's dangerous dangerous job yes yeah it fascinates me but i think we've talked about this before on the show fire terrifies me so not for me um in another news article i actually read this this morning and uh it kind of you know sad and disappointing but reported in the berkshire eagle and i you know probably should have anticipated or you know seen this coming but it's out of sight out of mind but school starting pittsfield public schools are starting and they're going back in the hybrid model which means much less personnel in the building which means less need for food services so um the school committee and superintendent mccandless are anticipating layoffs in the food services workers in the pittsfield public schools right there's there's no demand and i I knew this because I had heard it once during um, a, a citywide budget summit, but it, it didn't click until I read Superintendent McCandless and Deputy Superintendent Banky talking about it. The The meal program at Pittsfield Public Schools is, is the only part of their operations that's not in the regular budget. It's self-sustaining. Like, they rely on sales to, to sustain that, and 
no students, no sales, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sad. That's going to have an impact on the local community. I have friends who work in um, Pittsfield Public Schools food services, so that's disappointing. But it's the reality, right? Um, yep. Notable news article. This I hadn't actually seen this case when it uh, it didn't come up. It wasn't that significant, but headline from the Berkshire Eagle article written by Tony Dobrowski. Pittsfield man who allegedly spat on police after disturbance faces charges. And I saw the headline and I read the article. I'm like, man, people just don't get it. Like, I would rather be in a knockdown, drag out, roll around than have somebody spit on me. Yeah. It's just disgusting. It's yeah. It's no need for that. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let's stop there with uh, local news and just, you know, it's. So you're tuning in this morning. It's coming up on, actually, we're about 15 minutes past that time. It is September 11th. It is the 19th anniversary of the most horrific attack on our nation. Um, it, you know, the, the impetus for what is now the global war on terror. We've been at war for, I don't know, what, we're 18 years now as a result. Um, lots of controversy. Uh, you know, kind of surrounding the um, the rumors that the memorial event was going to be canceled because of COVID-19, and then it wasn't canceled, it was scaled back, and I was reading an article this morning, FDNY is telling their personnel, you know, it's not safe for their health to participate, so um, how do you tell FDNY not to participate in that particular event? Right. You know, then the city wasn't going to be lighted, and now it is going to be lighted, Um but as I was tracking some of the controversy, and of course we're gonna we're gonna pause to recognize it. Like we don't have a local event planned this year, except that the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan War Memorial is being consecrated and dedicated this morning, right, right. on September 11th. Yeah. Um, so a different a different recognition for the global war on terror. But um, you know, I was thinking this morning, S- September 11th was a punch in the gut for every American. But do you remember September 12th? Yes. Do you remember how this nation pulled together on September 12th? Yep. It was amazing. That that feeling that I miss. Um, and then as I was driving here this morning, I was thinking about the public memorial service that we had in Wakona Park the, the you know, week of... September 11th, and PPD uh, and our honor guard and a part of our marching unit and PFD. Um, I can't. Re- the it was the local funeral homes and a couple of the churches that pulled that together, and it was just a big positive prayer and song and just togetherness. It was that that part was cool. It yeah. was cool to be there for that, and it was cool to see that. Uh, but as a first responder, um, you know, like that, you know, punching a gut doesn't come close, right? But it, September 11th was devastating to the nation. It was devastating to the first responder community. Um, it caused a sea change in the way that we do work. Um, there are a handful still of local first, well, there's more than a handful, a couple handfuls of local first responders who responded to New York City, um, to Ground Zero, to work on, they called it the pile, 
Um, you know, I know, I'm trying to remember who from, I know for sure Officer Hunt deployed with us in the joint PPD, Berkshire County Sheriff's Office deployment. Uh, Sheriff Bowler deployed as PPD. He's now over at the Sheriff's Department. A couple of his senior people, including um, Lieutenant Colonel, or Colonel Grady, or Colonel Quinn and Lieutenant Colonel Grady. And I, I'm forgetting a bunch of other names. Many of our first respond or our responders have retired. Um, Sergeant Madalena. Sergeant Madalena did he, go, yeah. He went down. He was actually, uh, we were talking about that yesterday in the office a little bit. And I remember um, retired Sergeant Murphy, I believe, went. Yeah, so retired Sergeant Fitzgerald. We sent two rotations down. And there's there's bizarre stories, you know, that, that came out of that, um, including how they actually got across the river. And we, we can talk about some of the lessons learned because the reality is, we self-deployed, right? We sent a bunch of people and a bunch of resources, and they didn't know we were coming. As did so, however the, many the, jurisdictions. The whole country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we can talk a little bit about those lessons learned. But um, I was thinking about, and I wanted to ask you, Lieutenant, because, you know, everybody always asks the question, where were you when the world stopped turning? Do you remember, you know, what, what your day was like that day? Absolutely. Yeah. So what was your, what um, happened for you? I, I was actually out injured. I, I had broken my hand in a scuffle um, uh, probably the week prior. Um, so I was in a, a splint and uh, had 10 stitches in my hand. But um, I was heading over to Albany with my daughter, who at the time was one. Wow. And, uh, and my wife. We uh, went over there for a day trip. And I stopped in a store. You know, the, the cell, I didn't have a smartphone. It wasn't, you know, the, the news. Flip phones. Yeah. Yeah. If that, I don't even remember if I had yeah. that, that. But uh, I stopped in a store, you know, it might have been a convenience store to get a coffee or something. And uh, it was on TV in the store. And uh, it was shocking. Were you on the team yet? 2001? No. Okay. It, it would have been, I would have come on later that year. So I've I've told this story. Actually, um, the following it was the fall of of '01, so it was yeah. probably within the next couple of months. Yeah. So I've told this story in um, small settings before. I've told it to some of our personnel. I don't think I've ever told it to uh, a large public audience. So I was a brand new sergeant on September 11, 2001, and as a result of just getting promoted to sergeant, I had been shifted back to the midnight shift, and I had worked that morning, um, and I was a team leader on the team. Uh, with my my previous partner and another uh, patrol sergeant who was working day shift and so i had just gotten out of work uh i don't know if i got out at eight and i was a little late or if we were doing the eight and a halfs at that point in time but in any case i was driving home i was living off of dalton ave and i was going through the coltsville intersection i was listening i forget i was listening to wgna when they announced the first plane hit the tower and I'm like, wow, that's a horrible accident. That's a horrible accident. That's gonna that's gonna be a rough day for FDNY and NYPD. And so I was only a couple minutes from that intersection to my apartment. So I drove home, and it was my habit at the time. I always like, you know, had a little bit of something to eat. Talked to um, my my ex-wife at the time. Turned the news on while I was getting ready to, you know, wind down and get ready to go to sleep. And as I turned the news on, the second plane hit the second tower, and I just, I was like, that's, that's deliberate. It has to be deliberate, right? So it, my, my focus shifted. And so I fired off a, 
message to my partner and i'm like are you, are you, we're getting information on it. and you know everything blew up right the the teletypes blew up it, it was just you know information coming in from everywhere every news uh, cast was about it and so he started um you know he basically replied and said yeah we're, we're seeing what's going on we don't know what is going to happen locally but we know we're already talking about what we're going to do what pittsfield's going to do so i was like all right keep me posted and in my mind I knew sometime in the next several hours we were going to put together a unit and probably head out. So I didn't go to sleep. I just started prepping my gear, like going through my bag and getting, you know, I might need this, I might need that. So I was packing, kept the news on, had something to eat. Um, and at the time, my friend and my mentor was working for the DEA. And so his office was in the Justice Towers just across the highway from the Pentagon. And so at some point he calls me. And he's like, hey, you know, are you paying attention to what's going on? I'm like, yeah, we're trying to figure out what. And I was on the phone with him while he was looking out the window to the Justice Towers when the plane hit the Pentagon. And he just hung up. He's like, I got to go. And so he self-deployed across the street. Um, and I was just like, you know, what the heck is happening? Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of the day just continued to go sideways. They shut down the um, they shut down flights and they shut down the airports. People were stranded and. At one point, I walked outside. It was just so quiet, right? The the world stopped. Yeah, eeriness. Yeah. So the epilogue of the story is that my team and I, my partner and I, we didn't actually get to go. Um, And, you know, I understand it now, having been a chief for 13 years now, I get it. But when we put, when we sent the request up the chain of command to allow us to pull a team together and deploy, the response was, the team stays here. We don't know if this is over. The team stays here. Somebody's going, but you guys, we were so mad. We were so angry. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah it's, just, it's, you know, intuition to want to help, to get, yeah. get right into the, to go to the X and, yeah, and do what right. we can, get right? Get to the X. So, you know, speak, we said, I said we could talk about this. So I don't know that it's ever, and all of our guys who deployed from all of our local first responder agencies have been interviewed in the past, but I don't know, you know, that we've ever kind of like shared some. So they they took the the old command Tobago, right, the community mm-hmm. command vehicle. They basically stopped at a, a, I'll give the name of credit where credit is due. They stopped at Car Hardware. They were loaded up with all kinds of stuff, right? Masks and helmets and gloves and boots and all kinds of stuff. And they headed out. And they didn't know where they were going. They're just like, we're going, right? So the first crew was on there. And eventually they ended up in New Jersey at the Meadowlands, which had been set up as a quick, you know, hasty staging area because stuff was self, self-deploying self from all over the eastern part of the country. And they couldn't get it into the city, right? The roads are closed. So they ended up staged at the Meadowlands. And eventually, um, I don't remember who it was, it might have been it might have been the sheriff they basically negotiated with like a sheriff's department or a fire department boat and they said take us across the river and get us there and that agency was like yeah whatever you want to get over there go over there so that's that's what they did they left the, they they continued to operate out of the meadowlands but they were taking a boat back and forth uh, to do their work so yeah it it sergeant madeline in our our discussion yesterday he was you know, saying how they basically were uh, in a line, just yeah. you know, pulling, pulling, pulling rubble debris, and whatnot, and pulling debris off. But he, you know, he, he kind of mentioned at one point, it just it was, in a sense, fruitless because they needed machinery. Yeah, 
it, you know, they had to get that in there. And there's the amount of, I mean, organizing that type of a rescue operation, you know, how much of it is rescue? And rescue how, where, when it shifts to, to recovery. Yeah. You know, and, and things that came out, like, you know, <clears throat> the, the plans that were in place at the time, because nobody could anticipate that. So the FDNY command post set up by the first responding engine companies and their commanders was at the base of the towers, right? I mean, th that entire command company was, was taken out. Uh, and so now you've, got, now you've got a separate emergency, right? Because now you've lost your top tier planners. Who's in charge? So a lot of lessons learned, you know, not, not putting all of your, your command element at the scene if you don't need to and having backups in place. It certainly changed the way we plan. Um, it changed the way we operate. I think the we spent you know 16, 19 years now um, looking at this. Prior to that day, the fire service was way, way ahead of us in emergency operations and incident command. Um, ironically, because of wildfires, right? The, the ICS system was designed to be a modular system that firefighters from all over the country or the world, if necessary, because we get wildfire crews from Canada, um, so that they could plug into a system and be utilized based on their capabilities. And law enforcement had fought tooth and nail for a long time going down that path we're not modular every department's different we got to be treated independently you can't tell us what to do i'm not taking orders from some firefighter i'll use a professional term not a, a pejorative nickname um and after september 11th that changed right we we had to get on board it took us a little while to to kind of get into the swing of things but now you know every officer is trained in that in the academy it's second nature. Um, we've integrated it. You know, you as a field commander, you know, when something happens, first question is, who's in command? Where yep. are we going? Yep. The ICS classes began. Yeah. Yeah. The requirement, right? Presidential directive. Everybody must. Yeah. And it changed a whole bunch of other stuff. Just, I don't know, right? Earlier this year, I was in a public comment talking about mission creep. That yeah. that was probably one of the biggest shifts and oh my god right who's we you know before they stood up the Department of Homeland Security the response was American law enforcement is Homeland Security right you right. protect the homeland so yeah it's crazy uh, it it's you know what's a little bit shocking to me right now is the fact that you and I are reminiscing about things you know career changes from 20 20 years, years ago. ago what happened <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know there's there's many more of those right those watershed moments that change how we do what oh, yeah. we do um many more this was just this was at least for me i you know at the time i had been on the job maybe three years and um it it, it was just the the biggest and most um you know glaring watershed moment you know it, for it, for all of us right i don't think yeah it, i mean it's it, it, it kind of it, it, it's probably how people felt to a certain degree about um you know the attack on pearl, pearl harbor. harbor right yeah. it, it, and i agree with that yes it's that it's of that magnitude except the attack on pearl harbor was a attack against a military target and it was mitigated by military assets right, right? they weren't 
necessarily prepared for that specific attack, but that was their work. American public safety on that day, this wasn't our work, right? right? We didn't really know. It became our work that day. Um, you know, like I think we talk about these watershed moments for any one of our disciplines, fire, police, EMS, communications. Law enforcement has many such watershed moments. We talk about them, right? Mm -hmm. um, Columbine was a watershed moment. Uh, Rodney King was a watershed moment. 9-11 was a watershed moment. Ferguson was a watershed moment. 9-11 was a watershed moment for every industry, for every discipline, for, for the citizenry. Um, and a lot of stuff that we were just like, yeah, we'll get to that someday. And this, it, we're talking about 9-11 because it's the anniversary. But, you know, how many times during the after actions on 9-11 and how many times since we said communications is the, is the principal failure point, right? Communications failed that day because they were relying on, well, for many reasons, but principal one is they were relying on communications equipment that was on those buildings, right? Gone. And then the cell circuits got overwhelmed, gone. So what do you do? They were quite literally reduced to using runners, um, which you have to have a plan for. But we always look at our after actions. Yep, communications, right? Prior to 9-11, we didn't have the communications suites that you're now responsible for when Captain Brial can just come in and plug in another radio and we can talk on our frequency to somebody from another part of the state. Right. right? It's, it, we, why? Right? We didn't have to do that. But now we do. Right. <laughs> um, you know, integrating operations, unified command with fire service. A perfect example. We could not have successfully stood up the unified command for the city's management plan in March for the COVID pandemic if we hadn't been learning the lessons learned since September 11th. Right. The, the takeaways from that day and the things that we implemented because of that allowed us to be more successful 19 years later. Uh, and the lessons keep on coming. For 80-plus operational periods. <laughs> for 80-plus <laughs> operational periods. Um, hard, hard lessons. So, um, you know what? We've been talking about this a lot. It's, uh, it, it's dredging up a, a lot of thoughts and memories and enough is enough. It is the anniversary. Um, take time today, however you choose to do it, to, you know, find some solitude, find some quiet, reflect on our fallen from those attacks, um, the heroics of the passengers on uh, flight 93 um everybody who lost loved ones family members um our first responders who rushed into the chaos and gave their lives and all of our military who have been deployed all over the world um since then in response to this i've been reading a lot of military biographies recently um uh, a lot of people rushed into the recruiting stations later that afternoon, the next day, for the rest of that week. The, uh, the wave of you know, military enlistments, military action, it's some of the stuff that's going on today, born out of that day. Yeah. You know. History, significant. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. It's Fall Friday. Let's yeah. shift gears a little bit. Um, before we get to the half hour break, we got a few minutes left. <sighs> Lieutenant Dolly jinxed us. He totally jinxed us. We got ready to prep for last week's show. 
we were preparing 11 cadets, new student officers, to head to the academy to start Tuesday. By the time I got back to the station after the show on Friday, it was 10. Yep. By Tuesday afternoon, it was 8. Yep. There were 11, and now there are 8. It's not for it's, everyone. It's numbers, unfortunately. It's just kind of the way the way it tends to fall. Yeah. Despite the best efforts so. of many people. 30% attrition basically over a weekend. Yeah. For the remaining eight student officers who are in this academy, keep your chin up and your head down and do as the instructors tell you and get through this. You can do anything for 22 weeks. That's right. 30% attrition. <laughs> I, I got home Tuesday night. I wanted to cry. I just wanted to cry, right? Because Tommy and I had been talking about it, and we were so excited. And we're like, ah, oh, we're there. I was firing off texts. We got our staffing goal. Boom. Just... We should have Tommy on to have him talk about it. No. <laughs> no. I love him. He's my friend. He's a good cop. He's Bad luck when it comes to staffing stuff. <laughs> All right. What do you got going on this weekend, Lieutenant? Um, what, what am I have going on this weekend? Um, I don't know. I guess I have to find out. Um, <laughs> you got to ask the wife. You know what it is? I And, and she is kind of gets on me about this. I, I'm not a good planner when it comes to weekends because I'm just – fighting to get through the week yeah and um i don't always look ahead the way that she does and Lieutenant. we had we had actually we had a discussion last night about things and the thing is kind of the 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 rough plan kind of got changed because um you know some plans that changed with my son it just you gotta roll with it lieutenant do i have to instruct you to go home and get out your copy of emotional survival for law enforcement by dr kevin gilmartin and reread those chapters you know, I, it's funny because one of <laughs> one of my my jobs this week at home was to to clean out a bookcase, and I came across that book. Now that you you mention it, you might want to crack it back <laughs> open. In in the yeah. two minutes or three minutes that we have left, so for our listeners and viewers, this this is a conversation. It's an important conversation. It's a conversation that when I was a young officer, we didn't have often enough. Um, we try to have it more frequently um, internally, particularly uh, with our our core command. But one of the things that Dr. Gilmartin, who is a, a brilliant, brilliant law enforcement trainer and psychologist, uh, he, he identifies is if you are a police officer, a police commander, and not just us, right? This could happen to any first responder. Mm. But your job essentially is solving problems. And in many cases, solving other people's problems. And you go through this problem-solving cycle where you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. When you get time to step back and take time off and you're not out there solving people's problems, your emotional response is to resist solving problems. And so what happens is you dedicate so much time and energy to problem-solving on the job that you disengage from problem-solving with the most important people in your life and you fail to plan for your home life. And our SWAT adage is failure to plan is planning to fail. So if you're not investing the time, your family's going to notice it. They're going to be resentful. They're going to make you hear about it. 
So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't planned my, my structure of what I'm going to do, but I know who I'm going to be with. You know who you're going to be with. <laughs> so, it, it, this... This is the most ridiculous. I read that book and had class with Dr. Gil Martin when I was on my, um, in, um, my fellowship in Quantico, and he's instructing. And I'm reading. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And so that weekend, I had liberty, and uh, I was calling home. I was I was in my dorm room. I'm calling home, and you know, the question is, I'm think. Well, the statement is, I'm thinking about painting the living room. And these are the shades that I'm thinking about. What do you think? And the response that was on the tip of my tongue was, I don't give a damn, <laughs> right? I couldn't care. I wasn't going to be there for 11 months, right? And, uh, but I saw Dr. Gilmartin in my mind, and I heard his voice, and I stopped for a second. I was like, tell me about them. And better yet, send me a picture. And uh, it was not my first instinct, but thank God my survival instinct kicked in. And so remotely from Virginia, I'm like, oh, I like the third one. That little investment paid such dividends, right? And so, you know, you're solving problems at work, personnel problems, HR problems, operational problems, getting home and talking about paint, some paint colors, drapes, pillows, decorative throw pillows. Couldn't care. <laughs> But don't say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. It's time for station identification. Another check of the weather. We'll come back and we'll talk about in-service training and plans for uh, future programs. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, partly sunny this morning, then clearing. Highs in the lower 70s. North wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, clear. Much cooler with lows in the lower 40s. Northeast wind around 5 miles per hour. Saturday, sunny. Highs around 70. East wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Becoming southeast in the afternoon. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Is your little one safe inside your vehicle? Is the child seat installed properly? Is it the correct seat for your child? Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madeline with the Pittsfield Police Department, reminding you to please keep your children safe. Follow the safety seat manufacturer's recommendations for height and weight, and check NHTSA's website or our Facebook page for recommendations. If you have a question or would like your seat installation checked, please contact our department at 413-448-9700, extension 575. Our officers are certified safety seat installers. Thank you. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Underwriters are so important for keeping this station alive. Hi, this is Sean Sayre, Executive Director of PCTV. I'd like to thank our local businesses for supporting Pittsfield Community Radio and for believing in the mission of the station. When you hear underwriting messages on the air, you know those companies support WTBR-FM. If you're listening now and your business would like to join in and support us, call me today at 445-4234 and get involved or visit us at WTBRFM.com. It will make all the difference. So we're back. Um, I like to think, Lieutenant, that you and I and Officer Derby and Mr. Munn, that you know, we're the, we're the co-hosts and the co-producers of this program. But uh, apparently, uh, a new segment that I wasn't aware of or planned for was that my, my lovely bride is going to provide programming notes and interaction as she sees fit. And I, 
I guess I should be happy because that means she's listening to the program, right? We could use the help. We could use the help. This is her trade. This is her profession. Um, but she wanted me to be clear that the story I just told about the, you know, fellowship and the painting, that was not her. It was not my lovely bride. That was my previous life. <laughs> you know, I always answer questions about the paint and the pillows now. I, yeah. Yeah. There, there are paint. You know what? Paint is tough. Paint is tough. We've gotten to the point where we have to put it on the wall. We, we go to a certain store, we get the little samples, and uh, those, go, they, those have to go on the wall. The little chips? No, you can't even... You can't oh, even, no, the little, sa- the little sample samples. You're going to paint yeah. them on the wall. Yeah. Have them mix up the sample and put them on. It's yeah. worth the investment because then it's a... W- <laughs> I was, I'm not going to say where we were. I was at a friend's house um, the weekend before last. Uh, we had been invited for dinner, and I w- before dinner I was sitting uh, at the... Um, countertop bar between their kitchen and their dining room and I looked down the hall and I'm like oh you gonna do some painting soon because they had some samples painted on the wall and our host is like those have been there for over a year I've been in and out of this house a couple times and I'm a trained observer I'm like oh god (laughs) nope so before we get off the painting topic and before we get to service I just want to ask you when it comes to like color selection for for house paint like in, in your residence in your home do you like like bland neutral colors or do you like more bold and vibrant colors? Um I, I you know what? I, I guess the bland neutral would be my thing right now. We've never really we don't really have bold colors there. Um but my, my wife right now is she hasn't said that she's going to do this yet because that means a lot of involvement on my part and I know she doesn't want to stress me out but when we paint this room or that room I want to go with a cooler grade or uh, you know blues blues that, that's where blues. she's at right cool. now and so, I, I got to share one other thing go this, this, this is funny last weekend we, we have a little bit of a, an outdoor painting project going on right now and she has really taken the lead in that I, I did the power wash and I've done some of the prep she has been stroking, you know, she's, she's the brush lady. She's the brush. Right, she's got, and, and it's got to be a brush. We can't do it with a, a roller or anything. It's, it's um, like siding. So she's, she's painting, and there's a higher peak, you know, where, where somebody's got to get up on the ladder. I said, you want me to get up there and do that for you? No, I don't want you to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> know your limitations, Lieutenant. Yeah. So just the final thing on this topic, I, I grew up, um, you know, I love the house I grew up in, but it was, it was pretty much, you know, bland, neutral colors. Uh, my parents did some pretty cool stuff with like accents and, and textures and stuff like that. But if it went on the wall, it was going to get painted. You know, you're looking at those, those basically beige. And uh, when I was a young patrol officer, a uh, previous colleague of ours invited a bunch of us to their home. And his wife had done had recently done two rooms, and essentially she did these two rooms in like colonial, deep colonial blue, and almost like British red coat scarlet. And I was so struck by that that for a couple of years, like anytime we did a painting project, I was like bright colors. And I probably went like we we had like colors called goldenrod and sunshine up like in the living room, and it was cool. 
Except it's cool until you have to repaint those coats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three when coats. You, when you go, at least, right? <laughs> two coats of primer and three coats, they just keep coming through. So um, err on the side of caution and don't overdo it and don't overcommit. Yeah. 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 How the hell did we go down this route? I, I don't know. Police and painting. Yeah. All right, let's go back to insert. It's therapy. Yeah, right? <laughs> it, it does lead back into the conversation. Um, so kudos lieutenant shout out you were nominated for an academy award for your performance <laughs> in uh in service scenarios this wednesday yeah um it it was impressive it, it certainly was impressive it's all, all in the efforts of quality training we're not going to get into all of the details because some of our personnel who have not been in service may be listening probably not i'm not sure that many of our officers actually listen yeah, some there's, of them there's do. officers from other departments that i know are listening but i don't know well darren may be listening um so we started our first rotation of fall in service this week and i think we've talked about this on the program but you don't need to get on here we need to get officer gainer on the program She's going to be a tough one. She's going to be a tough one. She would not be happy hey, about hey, it. We're going to have to do what they did to B.A. Baracus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll knock her out. Yeah. Why am I on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> She'll wake up in the chair. That's not even funny. It's, it's so many crimes just occurred right there. Uh, so we, we've talked about this before, and one of the things that we have implemented, I don't know how long we've been at it now. It's, it's better than five years now. Um, it took a lot of work and a lot of cooperation, a lot of negotiation with our collective bargaining units. Um, but we, because of some stuff that had occurred in the ancient past, we had pretty much been restricted to roll call training. So 30 minutes of training following roll call for small groups or training on overtime which obviously was you know costly and cost prohibitive but we managed to negotiate and kind of reach a settlement and so when we're in a training cycle and our training cycles pretty much last you know fall through midwinter and then a break for the holidays and then mid-january through the beginning of our vacation season may or june we're off for the vacation season uh, when we're in a training cycle Every Wednesday is a training day, and essentially uh, each week, one-sixth of the department, based on their working group or where they're aligned, instead of working their regularly scheduled shift, they go to training. Training is their principal assignment, and if the shifts are impacted because people are assigned the training, then instead of spending overtime for everybody who's at training, spend the overtime to backfill for the, the shifts that would be left short. It's been much more efficient. We get a lot more training hours in, um, and it's allowed us to cover the required in-service training topics that are set by the Commonwealth, but go beyond the minimums and, and get some pretty cool stuff in. So we don't want to give away any secrets, but this first training block this year was not just based on the direction that we were getting on what our in-service training topics were going to be um, from the municipal police training committee, but it was also based on ongoing conversations that have been occurring all year um, about police reform and uh, changes in duties and changes in responsibilities and crisis intervention. Uh, and it also is based on some 
real calls that Pittsfield police officers have been on in the last five or six months, most of which were resolved seamlessly and a couple of which we picked up on some things and we said, oh, there's a, there's a lesson there. We can do that better. And so we actually were able to take a handful of real situations that we had been at in the last four or five months and incorporate them into the training. So the actual training topics uh, that we're covering are fair and impartial policing and procedural justice, which is our, our core training curriculum around uh, implicit bias and stereotypes and, um, you know, treating people respectfully and fairly. That's, a, you know, sum it up that way. And then the second classroom topic is a review and an overview of Integrating Communications Assessment and Tactics, or ICAT, which is essentially our crisis intervention model that um, we implemented, the, the Commonwealth implemented, and then we expanded on and actually went to the Police Executive Research Forum, trained the trainer to get the whole program, which is um, a decision-making model followed by live-action reality-based scenario training. Uh, and then our new Judgmental Use of Force Simulator, which I'm very excited about. We're rolling that out to operations for the first time. They're getting their first look at it. And it appeared that they really enjoyed that. I haven't done that yet. I'm, I, because I was involved in the other right. thing, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting on into yeah. that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the, the final component of this is the scenarios, right? The actual real real-time live-action reality-based training scenarios where you did yeoman's work as the uh, person in crisis the resident in crisis yeah years and years of law enforcement experience hundreds and hundreds of crisis calls <laughs> culminating in the creation of those characters and you did not make it easy well it's you know <laughs> why would I you made them work why would I um, it, you know and, and I'm not picking on anybody that went through the the scenarios, but some of them had a lot of experience with those types of calls. So I had to, you know, you to step up your game. I, I did. So you sat in uh, in the training area with us uh, all day. Um, so we started off with just again. It was we've been doing this training on a regular basis since 2016. So this isn't new training for any of our personnel. Everybody either had had it in the academy or had it in in-service. Um, but given the national conversation and the local conversation, I thought it was important that we revisit and reemphasize fair and impartial policing and procedural justice. So you've had that class before. Yep. Um, you know, we use the same training materials. We added a couple new images uh, but basically you know it it comes down to teaching our personnel and reminding our personnel that everybody has bias and having bias is not in and of itself inherently wrong or evil you can have positive bias or negative bias but if you don't think about and self-reflect and recognize your bias you can't take steps to overcome it right so recognize bias and and we have a little bit of fun talking about, you know, the, the things that you have a bias for or a bias toward that just you know, are just part of your day-to-day -day life, right? The example we use this time is toothpaste, right? If every morning when you got up and you went to the bathroom to brush your teeth and got ready to leave the house, you had to pick between 20 different brands of toothpaste, you'd never get out the door, 
right? If you had to pick between 20 different styles of T-shirt, 20 different breakfast cereals, you couldn't do it, right? But you preload these responses, you develop habits, you develop a bias, and you stick to that bias. And those are healthy biases, right? They let you get out of the house quickly and efficiently in the morning. But there are also negative biases. And when your negative biases cause you to reach generalizations about people, that leads to stereotyping. And when you make decisions based on stereotypes, that's discrimination. And we can't have that in law enforcement, right? So having a conversation with people about the reality of bias and what your biases are, recognizing and understanding bias, and then emphasizing the fact that we do not discriminate in the application of law, right? Regardless of what our belief system is, everybody gets the same application of the law. And are we perfect? Of course not. But that's the standard, and that's what we aspire to, and that's what we work with our people on. Um, and ironically, it's not even ironically, evolutionary, I, I think our people like the training, right? They like having the conversation. I know the first time I brought this into in-service, there was a lot of pushback, but we don't get that pushback anymore. It's like, yeah, of course, right? That's, that's who we are. That's what we do. So that sometimes has some tough conversations. I did that training for some civilian groups this summer. That was, um, that it, was, that was a lift. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a good self-awareness class and, yeah. and you do it a good job with it. And thank you. It's, um, it's I think it's positive that you you do it outside of our department you know and is it you do it with other departments in the state so we that that material is now mandatory so we do it for Berkshire County in service right so right. That, that gets done in the regular in service class we haven't done it in Berkshire County in service in over a year because it's not it wasn't on last year's in service topics we brought it back in this year to Pittsfield based on my training decisions, not the state's training decision. That's not one of our mandatory topics this year. It's one of our local option topics. Um, but yeah, I've, um, I've done it for some departments outside of the area just because they didn't have people who went to the train the trainer. Uh, and principally in the last couple of years, I've been doing it for private organizations, you know, taking the law enforcement specific examples out, but, you know, essentially having the same conversation around bias stereotype and discrimination yep um so we did that one uh it was a review so we didn't spend a ton of time on it but we covered all the material we needed to cover had some good discussions it was a lively group this uh this week senior group a lot of experience in that group yeah um and then we moved into the icat stuff which as i said on wednesday when we first saw the icat material because of some of the, the background and the history about it that I was familiar with, I wasn't a big fan. But when we went down and went through the full program with the instructors from Perf, the light bulb went off and I was like, this isn't anything we haven't been doing with the team for over 20 years, right? We want thinking, adapting officers. We don't want people to have a pre-programmed rote response. I'm going to a disturbance. The result will be an arrest. That's we we want people to take in all of the information and all of the evidence and all of the stimulus from a variety of sources. Critically assess that information, make an informed decision. Continue to take in information. Continue to reassess and modify the plan, depending on the best outcome for everybody. And sometimes that may be arrest. Sometimes it may be hospitalization. Sometimes it may be a summons. Sometimes it may be mediation. 
right? There doesn't have to be a plan for every time we respond. There should be plan A, several contingency plans, uh, knowledge of the available resources, willingness to call for additional resources. And so the catchphrase or the tagline I've been using since we implemented this, not just in the department, but even when I do it with countywide aid services, we're asking our officers, our frontline officers, to think more like special operations personnel, right? We're like, like SWAT. Um, because a lot of people don't understand. We've talked about it when we did the team turnover and the command turnover. As an agency head, as a chief, as the control chief for the team, I don't go to a call out and expect the team commanders to say, okay, chief, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. If they were going to do that, I could take any group of patrol officers and do that. The value of the team is they say, hey, chief, here are the options. This is what we've outlined. This is what we'd suggest. If this happens, we'll go here. If this happens, we'll go here. If this happens, we'll go here. And having that list of options, that list of um, the menu of choices, then we can slow things down, gather more information, continue to reassess, and make a better plan. Uh, and so pushing that thinking officer, thinking operator mindset down to our frontline troops, that's a little new. Uh, and I'm sure for some of the troops, it's a little frightening, but it's the right thing to do. So um, they're responding very well to that. Yep. And their performance in the scenarios is is showing that. So it, it, it's... um. It's a reflection, I think, first of all, of the need to, to have these capabilities on, on, or the officers on right. the street to have these capabilities because of the increase in the number of, of mental health crisis calls, calls. crisis calls that we have. Um, but I, I think the, the key point to the listeners is we have um, patrol officers that are now able to at least put in motion, if not carry out, some of the functions that would have traditionally been either supervisory or special operations. Right. And, and the bottom line is pushing the training and the necessary equipment closer to the, the first point of interaction so we don't have to delay the response and getting the equipment and the training to the scene. Right. Um, it, has, it has not been quick. It has not been easy. It has not been inexpensive, right? Investing in more equipment, investing in more training, um, investing in more resources, but it's the right thing to do. And we continue down this path. We just had a conversation at the end of the day, Wednesday. Um, you know, we're, we're almost 100% across the board taser equipped. We've we got a couple pockets that we need to do. But, you know, tasers, there, there's not going to be any reason that we can't get a taser onto every call um, in the near future. Pushing less lethal technology down closer to the front line. Um, we're we're well into that plan. Uh, we didn't. We talked about it on a um, an earlier show, but we didn't have any imagery of it at the time. We weren't televised at the time. We probably should pull the videos of that up and maybe share them. Uh, we're continuing to explore the Bola Wrap project, which is going to be a game changer, particularly for. Um, crisis situations where there's no criminal activity we just you know we've got somebody who's non-cooperative but they 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 need to be restrained but they need to be restrained in a way that's not going to cause injury so that's going to be a huge uh, game changer um yeah good things and more to come on that yeah 
So the other two elements of the training, uh, the new judgmental use of force simulator, we've had access to judgmental use of force simulators for my entire career, but we usually had to borrow them. Um, you know, we either had to drive down to the academy or go up to the house of correction where they have one set up, but it requires us to clear out their training room if we're going to use it up there we've rented them and had them either placed on our range or put in our indoor what used to be the indoor range in the basement um, but because of some of the constraints with our facility and headquarters buying one and permanently installing it somewhere it, just, it wasn't going to work right we did research on this for 15 years to try to figure out a cost-effective way to do it that it wouldn't be sitting boxed up somewhere unused and we couldn't we couldn't make it work with the space so last year we were at a um, risk mitigation meeting, an all hazards conference, and there were some vendors there and they I knew them and they recognized me and they called me over and they asked me to check this one out. And uh, so I had never seen this before. It solved all the problems that we hadn't been able to solve previously. And we not only invested in it, but we worked with the company to actually expand the capability and the options available. And so the new judgmental use of force simulator is virtual reality, right? We can set it up in any 10 by 10 space and run limitless possibilities of scenarios in the 10 by 10 space. But when you've got the headset on, it's not a 10 by 10 space. It, it's, it, you know, it's much larger. Um, we did have some difficulties with we warned them i told them right that you're only in a 10 by 10 space even if it looks like you're going down a 100 yard hallway and we did have one officer abruptly sprint into a wall um but it's i had, okay i had done the same <laughs> thing when i was getting uh brought up on it the first time so you know pay attention to the safety briefing but that's going to be a game changer for us because now we have the capability to have that available whether we're in in-service cycle or not, and it's not that difficult um, to operate. So theoretically, we could be doing on-shift judgmental training um, on a regular basis. So more to come on that once we get everybody introduced in that. And then the last block of training in the couple minutes that we have left was the reality-based scenarios. Scenarios where you um, played a variety of roles, yeah, uh, ranging from a young man who was despondent um, didn't didn't think his team was doing as well as they could be doing if they had him on the bench yeah and uh he just knew that he need and you know he needed some help he he needed some help he did he hadn't committed a crime um but his family was frightened and they wanted us to get their son some help and so you got to play the son I got to play your yeah. irate and outraged father. Um, <laughs> you know, we saw a, a wide variety of responses in that one. Um, you know, the I think the one, well, there there was several that impressed me, but we had one scenario where the the principal contact officer identified himself by title and agency, and that immediately set you off, and his partner who was the cover officer shifted and immediately introduced them by their first names and then introduced to the conversation that he also had a lengthy baseball career and yep. they managed to turn that conversation about baseball into a hook yep. and essentially you know 
they essentially convinced you to take a ride. Right. Yeah, so that was awesome. Um, the second scenario we actually was one that we took in the train, the trainer. I don't want to get into the details, but that, that was a little more difficult. And we added a couple elements to that and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but even a very, very experienced senior operator made some assumptions and learned that those were bad assumptions to make. Uh, and that's the place to make those kind of decisions because it's in training and nobody's really going to get her and he'll never do that again. Um, but we put them in a situation that took them outside of their comfort zone and um, no deadly force was utilized in, in that at all. And it very easily could have been based on the circumstances. And then the third one, I messed up, right? The, the dispatch instructions I gave, it, it basically turned into a protracted negotiated operation. And that was the right thing to do based on the dispatch instructions. Ironically, when we simplified it and cleaned up the dispatch instructions, the next crew came in and resolved it in like six minutes, <laughs> right? Just changing one element and it went from a high level operation to a conversation. It was a very different approach. Very yeah. different approach. Um, I have to say, you looked real comfortable playing the intoxicated. <laughs> um, Uh, handy worker <laughs> in your workshop garage only only in character only in character <laughs> that there's no truth or experience being tapped into for that role no so it was a good week of in service we got five more rotations plus a makeup day coming we're gonna have some guests come in for some of the training to uh, observe or participate so i'm looking forward to it you're going to be the role player for at least a couple more weeks yeah then we got to train somebody else up on those roles so we got a minute and a half left. What do you got to finish, Lieutenant? Um, have a great weekend. It's, you know, like we had mentioned, the fall weather is, uh, is upon us. Um, you know, be safe. Uh, reflect on, on what happened here 19 years ago. And, um, you know, it, uh, be good to each other. I forgot during the news segment, which will be our special event and uh, the last, the only special event I'll mention, it's the beginning of September. That means we're coming up on what would have been the September 3rd, Thursday. Traditionally, walk a mile in her shoes to support the Elizabeth Freeman Center occurs on that Thursday. Obviously, they can't do it as a large-scale event this year, so it's virtual. Um, several elected officials and public safety personnel including uh, north adams pd have already or adams pd have already done their virtual i will be doing the walk a mile on thursday afternoon with my friend and author ty allen jackson um it's part of my fall campaign to raise funds for charities so because it's a mile i'm going to be doing it in my walk a mile women's shoes and my weighted rucksack as part of my exercise plan i'll be doing that on north street you can find the details online We've got 10 seconds left. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. Be kind. Be healthy. Never forget. We'll see you next week for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD.